Hello out there. This is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and you are with us on Wine, Women and Writing or maybe today I should call it Mescalman and Mystery as my guest is not a woman. Protagonist that we're going to talk about is this is the show where I do tend to focus not to be a sexist, but I tend to focus on the female characters that are authentic, complex, and catch my attention and do it with oh, whatever strikes our fancy. Today, I think I will drink from a Boston Terrier mug and sip a little bit of uh, green tea instead of wine. And it looks like my guest is that nice mocha. And I will. Um, Try not to be too irreverent, share too much personal information, or cuss too much, although <laughs> I'm not going to make any promises. So um, if you are looking for the uh, more of this show, past guests, upcoming guests, you want to read along with the books that are essentially going to be part of Pamela's personal book club, please go out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, where it would not hurt my feelings at all. If you also checked out my USA Today bestselling and Silver Falchon winning best uh, uh, mystery series, What Doesn't Kill You, and the novels there. So uh, run the table on those while you're at it. Like I said, feelings not hurt. So let's get on to the good stuff. Um, or as I should say, enough about me, enough about me. Let's talk about our guest. I am welcoming today a, um, in his words, schizophrenic author, and by that I mean writes a lot of genres, J.B. Jameson, John, and um, the second novel in his Emily Graham adventure series, Distraction. John, welcome to the show. Pamela, thank you very much. And I grew up in a, a towboat family, so if the language goes directions like that, don't worry about it. I'm familiar with towboat slang. <laughs> <laughs> I try really, really hard. Um, my mom has made me promise not to use uh, uh, foul language in my books, and I do my best, and she watches the show, but it just slips out thanks to the influence of my dad occasionally. <laughs> I, I understand. We, we may have to talk about language and a, and a certain review I got a few months ago. That That's for later. <laughs> oh, oh, I want to hear that for yeah. sure. So you guys, um, John, JB, as he publishes his adult mysteries in, is coming to us from stormy Illinois today, I hear. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully not today. We've had enough. We've had tornadoes and hail and wind and all that. Today, it looks very, very nice, but it's still early in the day. Who knows? It's, it's central <laughs> Illinois. Give me five minutes. It'll change. You know, it's fitting as we're talking about an adventure book where on any given day, anything can and does go wrong, right? Although there, it's not the weather that you have to worry about, but the bad guys. So I I want to hear about every iteration of your, your writing journey, but let's start with the adult fiction and the reason that we're here, and that is your Emily Graham series. So for readers that haven't dove into it, dived, divin, how do you, what, I don't even, I don't, uh, how do you conjugate that verb? Jumped. Um, <laughs> that haven't jumped into your series yet. Tell us a bit about the series and then we'll segue over to distraction. Absolutely. Uh, the Emily Graham series did not start out to be the Emily Graham series. I, I was not even aware of Emily Graham until chapter 20 of the first book I was writing. Emily popped in and took over. I, I've always wanted to write. I, I've written work stuff through the years, but always wanted to write my stuff. And it, we've talked about that. But it, it just fine. And I've always wanted to. I had an idea 
35, 40 years ago, my father was a riverboat captain. I grew up in a towboat family. All my cousins, uncles, everybody worked on the river. It was just always there. And I got an idea 35 years ago about a story about a boat. And I told my dad that story. And he looked at me and said, that's the dumbest damn thing I've heard in my life. Forget it. So I forgot about it. Four years ago now, the last conversation dad and I had before he died, he'd gotten very sick. He'd gone into dementia. We hadn't had a real conversation for months. We were getting ready to send him to Dallas to visit my sister. She found a nice place for him to go. Dad and I were sitting in the car at the airport waiting for the plane, and he turned and looked at me, and he said, you remember that story you told me a long time ago? And he, he was back. It was amazing. I said, yeah. He said, that scared the hell out of me. That could really happen. I just didn't want to think about it while I was still out there. You ought to write that down. Oh, my God. So I put him on the plane. I went home. All I knew at that point was the idea that a Mississippi riverboat gets hijacked. That's all I knew. So I sat down and just started writing. And I got to a point to where a good guy had to show up. I didn't know. I just started writing and I said, and the door opened and she said, and I said, she, who's she? <laughs> and Emily Graham shows up and <laughs> that I got, I got through the story and I'm sitting here going, wow, you know, Emily reveals herself as she chooses. I, I love her dearly, but she, she, you know, she's in charge. I got to the end of the first book and figured I actually wrote a book. I did it. I'm done. And Emily said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I've got an idea. And that led to distraction. The first one was disruption. That led to distraction, which you've read. I got it finished and said, I've written two stories. Wow. And Emily said, ah, that <laughs> led to disbelief, which came out this spring. And now she's yelling at me and haunting me about disbelief discontinue, which is the fourth that's in the works. And so that's where, that's where it all came from. And Emily and the characters drive the whole thing. It's, it's been a heck of an adventure. I'm so glad that you, you listened to Emily and kept going and that, and that you had that moment with your dad. That's super, super special. And so funny that his reaction long ago covered up what his internal real reaction was when the truth serum came out later, which is, I'm a, I'm, I'm a river guy. I don't want to think about well, You know, a, a riverboat captain is always in control. Whether yeah. he's on the boat or at home, the family or anywhere, the riverboat captain always knows the answer. His answer is always the correct answer. If, if it turns out being the wrong answer, it's because someone interpreted it wrong. <laughs> and they're never afraid and you're right. The the dementia truth serum. Yeah. Kind of, the sad person that was that was about a about an 18 second conversation, and it's the last one we had. Oh. Uh, he went to Texas. We talked on the phone a few times, but he was back on the boats yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And three weeks later, he was gone. I mean, was on his terms. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I look back and just go, thanks, Dad. You know, you, you thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in some ways. Um, Emily's a little bit of a product of that, the way she comes in yeah. hijacks and you don't get to tell her, she tells you. And she's, she's kind of asserted herself in a very, you know, captainish sort of way in your writing. And, you know, it's, it was never a conscious thing. I think it's just, we write what we know, um, as, as we learn in the, in the first book and we hear in the second, Emily's dad was a riverboat captain, yeah. uh, you know, and she grew up in that environment. 
I know a lot of women who grew up in that environment. My sister is one. And I didn't, I haven't modeled, I haven't modeled Emily, period. Emily, consciously. Mm -hmm. It's not my sister. It's not this person. But raised, a riverboat family, you're raised to be uh, damned independent. Uh, You're raised to do the right thing. Uh, Don't put up with nonsense. Always be ready to change because things change constantly. It's just that's the wiring inside that guides everything. And that's that's what drives it, I think. I, I cannot tell you right now how excited I am that your publicist contacted me and I read this book and that you're telling me this now because, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I don't know why that character popped in and, and this, and it's something somewhat random. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. Some of our characters aren't planned, but it seems as if Emily had had been growing her, her seeds inside of you for many, many years for her to show up like that and yet be so true to what it was that you have grown up and experienced. So no wonder she shows up as a, as a real and, and complete woman in the book. Yeah, the voice has always been there. Uh, my mother was a very strong-willed individual. You know, a riverboat captain is home 30 days and then gone 30 days. So she was captain when he was gone. So very strong-willed. When he was home, there were two captains, which is not <laughs> a good thing. So I really witnessed that kind of tension-type stuff, experienced that. And it, it's always been that voice in my head that just says, uh, you know, whatever job I've done, whatever role it's, you know, don't put up with, you know, are you going to buy this? What they're saying, you know, you yeah. know, you, you got to say something. And that's, that's Emily. It's always been there. So with respect to um, distraction, one of the things that struck me, especially from the little I knew about your background prior to this conversation was the technology and the science behind putting together distraction was impressive. I have a daughter that's a um, PhD in computer science. And so I kept thinking as I read it that I don't understand what she does. I mean, let's just slightest freaking clue what she does, but I know she's really smart. Nicole, you're awesome. Um, but the, the, what was striking me was that you made it where I could understand it. Oh, it good. Plausible. And I, plausible to me as a reader, I, you could have been right. You could have been wrong that any of this stuff was possible. I would never know, but I was able to buy into it. And for, for you guys, the, the book starts out with a really exciting scene at a, um, baseball stadium where a uh, terrorist is making people's pacemakers um, kill them uh, basically in their chest. And so 13 or so people in the stadium suddenly are stricken down with not enough paramedics to go around. And that's the beginning of what happens. And so it was, it it really grabbed me the uh, your grasp of the technology. Where does that come from? (laughs) It's a couple of things. I, I have played with computers for years. Uh, I got my first computer back like 1983. It was one of the early ones. I was just fascinated. I'm not a techie. I'm not, as as your daughter, that stuff, I don't know. But I've always been fascinated by the the ability those things have, especially now with all the the wirelessness and the interconnectivity of stuff. So, and I worked in education for many years, dealing with educational technology and seeing the dangers and the potentials and stuff. But I have a lot of friends who are into it. So every, the, the book includes several different scenarios about hacking. And my big, I really appreciate what you said, because my biggest concern is, can I ex- explain this stuff in a way that people aren't going to go, 
what? <laughs> so thank you for what you've said. But the, the key thing is every situation in the book, beginning with the pacemaker and, and uh, uh, what's a diabetes pumps, you know, in the first, everything in the book from that to the ultimate thing, every one of those is plausible. Every one of those things has either been proven to, to be doable or has actually been done. And, and it's I, terrifying to think of, what to is. me, that's like microterrorism. Instead of killing everybody, let's just show how vulnerable you are at your weakest, you know, when you're putting your care in the hands of others, a machine, basically, something that can be controlled. Absolutely. And, and you know, I to go serious on you here for a second, uh, I really think that's, that's a big part of, of why Emily is doing all of this. The first book was the same thing about the real risks that, that riverboats face. And in doing the first book, I talked with companies, riverboat companies. I talked with Coast Guard, with, you know, all these folks about these things. And yeah, the risks are there. We don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. And the second book dealing with the hacking, those are all very real, real, and not just, you know, the, the app thing to turn off pacemakers. Uh, I, I had a guy show me where I could download that for my cell phone. I mean, it's there on that supposed dark web. Those things are there. Uh, and ev everything in there, you know, does exist. The third book goes a little another direction, but they all come back to this, hey, folks, are we paying attention? Emily is kind of saying, you're all talking about this stuff in the news and all this. These are all distractions. Mm -hmm. All of this is distracting. That's, that's kind of, I think, what Emily has been hounding me about with all of these. Yeah. Well, it was extremely well done. And you. you're welcome. And um, so that brings me back to you took off and started writing really what I would classify, at least from having read um, Distraction as Thrillers. But your prior writing had been academic publications, kids' books. Um, how did, did you did you just instinctively feel thriller, know how to deliver a thriller? Did you take a class? Did you study by reading a lot as you um, through your life? How did how did you come out knowing how to deliver a thriller? You know, I, I've never taken an actual course on any of this. Part of it, again, goes back growing up and I grew up in a, the, the line I use a lot, I grew up in a family of storytellers and liars. <laughs> I, I spent most of my time as a kid trying to figure out which was which. I mean, stories have always been there. Yeah. My grandfathers were storytellers. My great grandfathers that I recall were storytellers. My uncles were all storytellers. And so, the, you know, the idea of what's a good story, that's just kind of hardwired in over all the years. I spent the first 20 some years of my career as a minister, as a United Methodist minister. And most of my time was done with counseling, but I also had to preach. And after, it only took me about six months to get very bored with listening to me preach. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd gone to seminary, learned how to do a good three point sermon, all that. And oh my God, I got so bored. I, I had churches where I may have had to preach three or four times a week. And I'm going, Tch. so I, one day I just decided I'm, I'm just gonna tell stories. So yeah. I started going to the, the scriptures and just telling stories to keep me awake. And that worked. And it took me in a lot of places. 
And it's it's just all when I write curriculum, I, I do a thing I call story driven learning. And it's not that I use stories, but I build a course. So the experience is like a story. Right. Everything to me comes back to that. And, you know, somebody asked, how do you do this? I go, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I, I do. I can kind of break it down. You know, the, what I try to do in, in the writing is. I'm not creating a story or writing a story. My goal is to, I'm seeing and hearing and experiencing this thing, and I'm trying to share that experience with you. So my focus is I want you to experience something, not just read it. So I'm glad you brought up um, the United Methodist background. That was my church home. Oh, yeah. My little bitty um, church. Yeah. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about what makes a good written verbal However, learning experience, stories very much come to my mind. Um, I've been a presenter a lot of my life, yeah. a lot of live presentations, and it's always about the story, right? It's always yeah. about, because people dive into a story, you know, even speaking, using dialogue as you're speaking. And instead of just telling the story, breaking into the character, my husband, we talked about this off the air. You guys all know that I'm lucky because I get the, the before and the after stuff and you just get the stuff in the middle. So we've already been chatting, <laughs> but my husband is a chemical engineer and he gives a lot of presentations and what he teaches all these other engineers and they are hard to teach to give presentations is find the story. Yes. It's about data. Yes. It's about the performance of let's say a refinery, but there's a story in there somewhere, find the story and then deliver the story by telling stories because people relate to stories. If you just talk about the numbers or if you just think about the words or think about the sermon, you're going to lose everybody, but focus on the story. So. Yeah. And the goal is whatever it is I'm creating or sharing somehow, I want to make sure that it connects with your life story. Right. That that, you know, if I can I can craft the greatest story in the world, but if it doesn't make sense in your world as a it's like the hacking thing. I could write a wonderfully technically savvy thing. But for someone who doesn't live in the world of technology, it it would be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. Yeah. And this. Sorry, you've seen other my old shows. You know this is an interactive conversation. A lot of people come on thinking she's going to ask me a few questions. I'm going to talk the whole time. No, um, but I was speaking with a book club last night, and I was trying to explain what it is about characters that, to me, make them authentic, and it's and it's that we react to them. We either want to get involved in their story or we don't want to get involved in their story. So whatever we can do to bring authenticity to yeah. that character and, and giving them the depth of real human would so that we can care about them so that their story you know, has a voice is what makes a book readable or not. And so the, the, your ability to present Emily as somebody that we cared about and that could tell a story that interested us is the difference between a lot of books that I read and a lot of books that I close and kudos to you because it is hard to write somebody that is different from us in whatever way at the same time as the same from us. But a lot of times people are tripped up by the differences. And I didn't read the book thinking a guy wrote this. I read Emily's story. Oh, that's good to hear. That could, I've, I've been, I've been, I've, I've gotten comments before folks who have not read it is what makes you think a man can write a female character? You know, you can't, that's, they're never any good. And I get told that a lot until they read the book. 
And that's, not, and that's not fair to any author, right? Because if you're going to write a whole book, you've got to write a whole world of people and they have to be different from each other. So this is this is a challenge. And by the way, I, I hats off to Robert Dugoni, who I've had on this uh, show, who writes a whole series with a female detective. Men can write women's voices. Women can write men's voices. The people that do it well probably do the other gender as well, too, and probably do someone that's of a different race or a different religion from them well, too. It's about caring enough to present an authentic character, to research them, to listen to their voice. So anyway, sermon over. Now, you- <laughs> I, I think what for me, whatever gender, I mean, I, I write male characters, female characters. I write a square block character for the kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the heck it is to me. <laughs> Uh, there's a reality in there, the things that make it real, regardless of the external. And that, you know, Emily, like my others, Emily has flaws. She, she's dealing with issues, personal issues that, you know, are changing and she's very real, just like we are. So that, that really helps. She, she mumbles to herself, just like we do. I mean, (laughs) dialogue is a big piece of it. Sorry. Do you think that your experience as a pastor created in you uh, or nurtured in you what might have been a pre-existing empathy and listening ear to the differences in people? Oh, uh, there's there's several things. The, the first thing I think is my mother always wanted a girl instead of a girl <laughs> and uh, was never really happy with it until I was in junior high and my baby sister came along. Now that's traumatic for a seventh grade boy, trust me. <laughs> yeah. But she finally got her daughter. Up to that point, there was always this thing of dad worried because when he was gone, mom was taking me to art things and all that. Dad would bring me home, drag me hunting because there was this. So I grew up in that kind of really aware of the difference. I spent 20 some years as a pastoral counselor, uh, listening and paying attention. I work and working in the church, which still in most cases, other than conservative side is female led in, in a lot of female leadership, strong people, same in education, uh, I've I've just and I've always just kind of watched and listened and I'm intrigued by people just because of the counseling stuff. Yeah, so there's lots of reasons. Well, it is I think the big differentiating factor besides, of course, some people are driven to write and express themselves well in the written word, but the other is how much empathy and ability to listen do you have um, about showing your characters? Um, so it, it is endlessly fascinating to me. Now, to totally change gears, I'm seeing some um, guitars behind you, and there must be some secret side to John Jameson that's not so secret because they're right on camera with us. Um, musician? Uh, amateur now. Uh, I uh, When I was in sixth grade, getting ready to go to junior high, the guy from the band, high school band came trying to recruit us, and I wanted to play trombone because it was just, it was cool. My dad said that's too expensive. My grandpa had a used guitar and he said, why don't you try this? I went, I don't want to play guitar. The next week on Sunday night, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> now, I did not see that. But the next morning I went to school and all the girls were talking about were these long haired guys playing guitar. And I went, guitar? I got one of those. <laughs> that's when the guitar really started. I played. My mother immediately decided he can't play, but... The Beatles are big, so she went out and bought Beatle wigs, and she and another woman got their kids and me, and we became the Fleas. They dressed <laughs> us like the Beatles. We lip-synced to three Beatles songs. Actually, we actually, my memory is foggy, but 
back when Dolly Parton was still running around with Porter Wagner years ago, playing the small towns, they played in my hometown and we were one of the opening acts, which, wow. you know, and you're still lip syncing at this point, still lip syncing. The bass drum was a big round circle cut out of paper. My guitar had no strings and I had to hold it left-handed because that's how Paul did it. I'm right-handed. But, <laughs> That from there, I did learn. I, I started, you know, three or four rock bands all through high school, uh, through college. I did the coffee house circuit, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now I just plunk and play and occasionally get together and do that. But yeah, it's 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 just there. It's well, part from, of from your Tom Sawyer upbringing to your um, your uh, rock star uh, youth, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame you don't live closer because my husband and I are looking for a lead guitarist. We need a drummer too, but we, we our band is going to be called Springfield Crusher. Uh, that's he's always wanted a band named this, cool. and he's been in bands all his life. But I'm I'm allowed to join this next one on um, keyboards and vocals. So and know, what kind of and what kind of music? Uh, pretty much rock. He, okay. he grew up. Um, He's a, a child growing up in the 70s. So he wanted to be a rock musician and was until he was 35. And it was no longer compatible with his engineering career. So anyway, if you're ever in Wyoming, you know, jam <laughs> with us. It might be worth the trip out. Absolutely. Might be. <laughs> might be. So now your children's books, this illustration behind you um, with the ears, the lovely ears. Is this the creature that you were talking about earlier that you write about? This is the squirt lock. And... The Squirtlock has the 39-year history, too. Uh, when our daughter was two, one or two, we were sitting up two o'clock in the morning in the rocking chair. She was sick, feeling miserable. I started humming some song, made up the words to this, oh, I wish I had a Squirtlock, a funny-looking dog, ears like an elephant, nose like a hog, and it went on and on. That became the, the running joke in our family. Anytime somebody did something dumb, oh, you Squirtlock. Well, about the same time I started writing the first Emily book, my granddaughter heard her mother say something about the squirtlock. And my granddaughter said, so what does the squirtlock look like anyway? So I got up, I, I had never drawn it. So he got a piece of paper and said, well, see, ears like an elephant. And I drew ears, nose like a hog. And we got this thing done, looked at it. And the squirtlock looked up and said, what, no shoes? So we <laughs> added shoes and it said, no color. So then we, my granddaughter ran and grabbed her paints. We painted it and stuff. And the Squirtlock said, okay, you're going to write my book now or what? And <laughs> the Squirtlock, very similar to Emily, uh, Grant takes charge. Uh, it is that similar kind of voice. Imagine anything, dream anything, try anything. Uh, there's no morals, moral to the story. There's no lessons to be learned. Kids get enough of that. Those are good books. I've watched my grandkids go to school and they read, but everything they read now, it's to make sure they get their name in the box for the pizza party. Uh, my children's books are just excuses to curl up on the sofa together and laugh and enjoy time. And that's where the squirt lock came from. So you were uh, like the fun grandpa. Oh, <laughs> there are times I've been told other times. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I'm the storyteller. That's and I hope you guys noticed that in telling this story, not only did he tell a story, but he used the characters speaking in dialogue. <laughs> I had a feeling that when you launched, that would happen. <laughs> my my character, you know, it goes back that I don't create my characters consciously. I mean, I, it's all in there, I know. But 
they guide, they run the thing. They, they, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an adventure. It's, it's everything I write is a discovery for me. I tried James Patterson's idea of outlining everything ahead of time. Now it doesn't work for me. It for you. <laughs> Fine if it works, for, but for me, I, I have an idea, but I wait and my characters tell me where we're going. So with your, um, with your Emily Graham, you're hard at work on discontent. Why did you say dis? Discontinue. Discontinue. Unless and, she changes that. Yeah, unless she changes that. And I'm assuming you have no idea whether there will be a fifth because she hasn't told you yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I try not to think. <laughs> you know, I, and seriously, I think that may be part of all of this, too. And if people ask me, how do you write? You know, do you, how, what do you think ahead about your books? I, I try not to consciously think. I want to be invisible. I don't want you reading that thinking John wrote this. You know, right. I don't want, so I, I try to leave that out and see where it goes. I, unless, you know, I, I, I'm guessing there will be another one, knowing Emily, uh, if, if she gets through this one. That seems to be a question right now. <laughs> Uh, she may get in this one and go, I'm done with this. Well, and I, I love, I love what you're saying about trying to take yourself out of the writing. You know, I find that you know, I, I'm on an, a, pretty, a pretty aggressive writing schedule. And so what will happen is I'll go through days at a time where I'm drafting, where I feel like I'm forcing it. Yeah. But in order for the book ever to become, I have to step back and quit thinking about it. Yeah. and live in the character and the story for a while until I feel more like that character than I feel like me. And, and yeah. it's just, it's isn't that the most beautiful magic when the character starts taking over. You know, it really is. And for me, it, it solves a lot of issues. I, I have, ne since I've really started, I've never experienced what, what I call writer's block, uh, which is kind of when I need to write, but I don't know what to write. I don't worry about knowing what to write. Uh, there are times that I'll sit down and things are, you know, hmm, all that means to me is Emily's still processing or the squirt lock is. And when that happens, I don't stress about it. I'll do something like I'm going to go to town, go to the coffee shop and I'm going to go as Emily. Yeah. And, and I'll go there. And in my mind, I'm Emily Graham and I'm standing waiting in line. And Emily Graham's not good at standing waiting in line. So I experience that. I don't say things out loud. <laughs> I was going to say, does this affect the purse you carry with your shoes or does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I stay up here. There's the other Outwardly, thing. Outwardly, your job. Outwardly. And you know, the interesting thing, I don't know what Emily looks like. Yeah. Being told, I have no idea. One of the early reviews, a, a woman in uh, Scotland, of all places, uh, Dublin, Dublin, Ireland, uh, said she loved the book. Her one, this was the first book, her one criticism was, I didn't give enough description of the character. She didn't know what, I didn't tell her what Emily looked like. She and I talked and I said, I'll bet you can tell me exactly what Emily Graham looks like. She says, well, yeah, she's a brunette. She looked, I go, there you go. I didn't have to tell you. I, I, I want you to have the freedom to, I'll tell you what needs, Emily will tell you what needs to be told. She'll trust you to create the rest. So, yeah. I like that approach. Now, before we, before we wrap it up, you, you, teased us at the beginning with a review that I believe was a little, um, um, the language may have been questionable. So end us with that little nugget. The first book, uh, the one that about the hijacking, in the very first chapter, there is one sentence 
that is a true story uh, that I heard when I was probably seven, which may not be appropriate for a seven-year-old to hear, but as a cowboy kid, you heard all kinds of things. There's a, a little description of something that happened on a towboat and the captain's going down and this happened. He's remembering it and it's not porn. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's not anything you would not hear, you know, talking to somebody. It's but authentic for a towboat environment. It is, I mean, it's fully authentic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a woman who was a, a pastor apparently had noticed that I used to be a pastor and she got the first book disruption and apparently started reading and came to that sentence. That's all the further she read. And she posted a zero star review. Wow. And her whole review was shame on you, John Jameson. Said nothing about the book, but how can a pastor use things? You know, what kind of an image are you all? I just went on and on and on. And I, I, I don't, I rarely read reviews, rarely ever, but someone said, you ought to take a look at that. <laughs> I rarely ever respond, yeah. but I looked at that and I just said, okay, uh, you know, this, this is not a book review. <laughs> this is a, a sermonette. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With my respect. And that's the one time I actually sent a note to Amazon saying, would you please look at that and think if you see if you really think that is a book review that should be there? If so, yeah. okay. But yeah. I, I did that really for all of the other authors who get those and maybe are afraid to say something. It's but, interesting, too, because you do not bill. And this is a pet peeve of mine that we're about to have Pamela launching again. But you don't bill your book as Christian fiction. You have oh. a background as a pastor. It is, a, it is the Emily Graham Adventures. Similarly, I write mysteries. Do not bill them as Christian fiction. I do say that most are PG-13. Some are, are uh, rated R. But I go for authenticity. And the world around me is an imperfect world, and I'm an imperfect person. Yeah. But, man, I, I get emails sometimes or reviews that are very angry because yeah. my characters do not live a life in line with Christian values. Yeah. So I blogged on this once um, because my assistant is a youth pastor's wife. And I asked her about it. I said, you know, how offensive is this? You know, how bad is it that I thought it just was real and reflective of like a towboat captain's story? Yeah, yeah exactly. And she said, that's the thing that makes your characters lovable. So J.B. Jameson, John Jameson, that is the thing that makes your books authentic. Don't you listen to that mean lady. <laughs> and, you know, and that's why I use different, I use pseudonyms. The children's book is Pops Jameson. Yeah. So if you want a children's book, don't buy a J.B. Right. I don't write adult porn. I write, and, and the book in, in Amazon Airplace, it meant 16 and over. Yes. You know, it's clearly identified, but exactly. It's, it's part of the thing. You know, it's just part of it. Exactly. Yeah. You got to grow a thick skin. And by the way, readers out there, John, JB in this case, and I appreciate your honest reviews more than I we oh, say. They mean a lot. And I'm even happy with your reviews that tell me my book stinks. But I do like the ones that say it's awesome better. It's just, you know. If, if you if you post a review telling them it stinks, tell me why. Tell me I really why. do want to know that because maybe it does. Maybe. I'm learning as we go. Exactly. But if what you want is to quibble with me on theology or et cetera, just write me an email. We'll there chat. You go. I'll debate right. with you. <laughs> I can argue. I love to argue. <laughs> well, uh, JB, JB John Pops, 
whatever name you're going by at any given moment. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a Pamela. Pamela, thank you for having me. And thank you for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And you guys should know that at this point of the show that I solemnly swear that I will include that this is a copyrighted production solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And I owe it all to the goddess producer, Pam Stack. We give it a big up here. Um, as for the show, um, please go out to the website, as I mentioned earlier, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, and check out our upcoming shows so you can get those books in advance, read them, and then be meaningfully um, able to participate mentally with my conversations with the wonderful authors. And you can check out the past shows while you're there as well and binge read my books. But your assignment for this week, if you haven't already done it, is to pick up J.B. Jameson's Distraction and give it a read. I promise for you, those of you that like mystery, thriller, suspense, good adventure, that you're really going to enjoy it and be glad that you picked up a fresh voice. That's new. Let me recommend start with disruption first, Just then that. distraction. Start Either one is fine, but it'll, it'll you'll enjoy it more. And a good point to know here is that while I, as a purist, always feel like starting at the beginning is most enjoyable, you can still yeah. enjoyably re- read distraction without feeling like you were ripped off and have to go back and get the first one. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Um, for the rest of you out there that um, that have already read disruption and have uh, already read Distraction, then pick out the book for next week's guest, which you can get on my website. If you want to learn more about um, the books of J.B. Jameson, will you give us your website real quick, please, before we sign off? Jamesonbooks.com. That's easy enough. Yeah. A-A-M-I-S-O-N books.com. Yes. So have a good week, you guys, and I'll check you next time.